0: so we're carrying on the death for life series this is the penultimate in the series and it's the penultimate week we're here don't you just love it when a plan comes together i don't know if it was planned or not but uh brilliant isn't it and we've been looking at jesus is my and this morning we're carrying on with jesus is my reconciliation i've got more devices recording this morning than you can quite believe Um, (laughs) cool excellent So we're going to start, uh, as we have some weeks, with a pastoral uh, story. So this is a story of someone in in a pastor's church. And uh, we'll refer back to this, to Kurt, as we're going to learn about in a moment a few times as we just spend some time listening to what God says to us this morning. So Kurt is in his 40s. Sadly, that makes him younger than me now. (laughs) And lives his life on the edge. He runs a few small businesses that pay for his lifestyle of drug use, Gambling, foolish spending, and sleeping around. In more recent years, his rough living has taken a toll on his physical and financial well being. Spiritually, Kurt is a vocal non Christian who refuses to listen to anyone speaking to him about God. After spending a bit of time with him, it became obvious that in his little kingdoms of his home and business, he considers himself curiously to be something of a God. Small g. He's often ruthless and cruel, demanding cult-like devotion from his employers, uh, employees, sorry, children and loser friends who need him for drugs, money and approval. As a result, there is no one near him who is in any way stable enough to speak into his life and point out what is obvious to everyone else who is not in his little circle of control and that is that he is falling apart in every way. He will sometimes spend days without sleeping because of the amount of drugs in his system, he st- started spending major amounts of money on frivolous purchases, so that his home and business properties are filled but his, sorry his home and his business properties are now filled with broken-down cars, and his once beautiful home is now the eyesore of the neighborhood due to neglect. Even sadder, his children who live with him still idolize their dad and remain devoted to him. They too do drugs and abuse alcohol. And having never left his circle of control, they do not have any idea that another way of life is available to them. They spend their time hanging out with their friends, having boys sleep over in their beds, and even moving boys into their father's home to freeload off him for money, drugs, and alcohol. As a result, we're getting a picture here, aren't we? As a result, his children are a wreck and even no longer attend college, though they were once good students. The only person who used to speak wisdom and sanity into Kurt's life was his brother. Both men grew up in a difficult family. They did not know their criminal father because he was in prison. Their mother worked hard and was very poor. The big difference in the boys' lives is that Kurt's brother became a Christian around his early 20s. As a result, he married a Christian woman. And together they raised their children according to the scriptures with the support of a church family. Kurt's brother's family is in every way the polar opposite of his own, yet Kurt has refused to speak with his brother for many years, despite the fact that they live in the same city. My understanding is that Kurt is incredibly angry at his brother. Under that anger, there is bitterness that he does not understand. The pastor's response will be to try and help him see the root of of his bitterness as well as the rotten fruit that it's bearing in his life. Wow, I hope your situation isn't as dire as that or wasn't as dire as that. But I'm sure there are parts of this story that in one way or another we can relate to. Maybe they're experiences that we've been through. Maybe they're experiences that people (laughs) close to us have been through. Maybe we've just read about it. I don't know. But we know that these things go on in the world. And as we look at Jesus is my reconciliation today we're going to just refer back a couple of times to Kurt's story and reflect on the difference that Jesus makes to us. And I want to suggest this morning that before we look at reconciliation, we need to consider what and who we're being reconciled to. So I want us to spend a few moments considering God's original plan. If I can have the next slide, please. I can't see that, so I'll... We'll, just, we'll see if we can work together. Um, God's original plan. So if we turned right back to the beginning of the Bible, we'd find Genesis. And in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, if we were to summarise, we would find some of these things here. So firstly, we're created in God's image. male and female, we're created in God's image. That is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We rule the earth and can eat from it. And to a certain extent, I guess you could say we still do, uh, but not in the way that it was intended. We're to start from a position of rest. So if we go back to the original creation story, we find that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rests. He creates Adam and Eve on day six, so their day one is a day of rest. They come from a position of rest, not a position of striving, which is so often how it feels now. And we're to be fruitful and multiply, so we're to have children, we're to have families, we're to uh, extend our families. We're to have a perfect relationship with God. So just take yourself back for a moment. It's difficult to imagine, I know. But as Adam, Adam's created, his only relationship at this point is with God. There's no sin in the world. His relationship is utterly perfect. And then God says it would be good to have, for you to have a woman with you. And so he puts Adam to sleep and he takes a rib. Many of us will be familiar with the story and he creates Eve. And so Eve's first relationship perfect relationship with God and then he wakes them both up and their relationship together perfect relationship with one another we can't really imagine what a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other looks like but there was no guilt there was no shame there was no sickness there was no sadness there was no pride there was no envy there was no deceit just try for a moment to imagine what God created this was the world that he created for us to live in this was the relationships that he created for us. And when he talked about Jesus reconciling us, this is what he wants to hand back to us. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing. However, and there's a big however, it doesn't end there. I mean, if it did, we wouldn't need to be sharing this this morning. <laughs> We could just move on and enjoy that, that world that God had created, but it doesn't, it doesn't stay like that. There's a dark turn. And this is where we're going to get a little bit heavy for a while, so sorry about that. Adam and Eve are told there's one tree they can't eat from in the Garden of Eden. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what do they do? Genesis 3, next chapter, tells us they eat from it. And in that moment, sin enters the world. At that moment, everything is changed. At that moment, the relationship with God is broken. At that moment, their relationship has a wedge come come in. Everything, everything in that instant is changed. And we can pick that up in Genesis 3, verse 8. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, I think that's a great question because, of course, God knows exactly where they are. Right? <laughs> where are you? So he's getting, he's getting man to respond. And that's a really important principle here because God knows exactly what we need. When we come to him in prayer, he knows what we <laughs> need, but he wants to hear it from us. So he says, Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asks, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now again, God knows these things, but he wants to hear us come and confess. And the man replied, I take full ownership for this, I'm completely responsible. (laughs) No, he didn't. He says, The woman you gave to me, might be your fault here lord that i have to eat from this tree the woman you gave to me she gave me some fruit from the tree and i ate so the lord asked the woman what have you done and it's i think it could sound really stern there but i'm sure he was compassionate in that moment because that's what he's like and the woman says the serpent deceived me and i ate and if you go on in genesis three you would then be able to read the consequences of those actions And it's a consequence that we have to live with, too. So I want to consider for a moment, well, what does that look like? What does living in a fallen world look like when we do something like that? So if we can have... Yeah, excellent. So the first thing we often do is we make ourselves a victim. So Adam, the first thing he does is say, the woman... She hasn't even got a name at this point, you notice. She She gets the name Eve a bit later. The woman, she made me do it. I... Just a helpless victim. I mean, have you seen how persuasive she is? <laughs> she made me do it. I'm just a victim. Eve blames the serpent. He deceived me. It wasn't my fault. What could I possibly do? Have you seen what serpents are like? Kurt, he might not vocalize it, Kurt blamed his criminal father. He says, "I had a really difficult upbringing. You don't understand what it was like to be in my situation. I'm just a victim of my circumstances. How could I possibly help? the life that I'm living and yet we know that's not true because his father of course has a very different life something's changed in him so often instead of taking responsibility for something what we do is we make ourselves a victim and I'm not I'm not talking about the times when you may have been a genuine victim of crime here by the way something horrific may have happened and if that's the case I, I really hope that you've had some healing through whatever that was but we make ourselves a victim. And what we do is we, is we put ourselves at the centre of the story and we start saying things like, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, Lord. How, how could it be my fault? You, you put this situation, you put this temptation in my path. I couldn't possibly help it. Of course I did that. But didn't you see what they did? Of course I said that. But you, should, you I'm in the discussion. It was the only natural response that one could make to that situation. We do it all the, all the time. We make ourselves a victim. It might be by our action or our lack of action. It might be what we've said or what we've not said. The sins of commission and omission, as we would call them. But we make ourselves a helpless victim and say, it's not my fault. It's not my fault, it's their fault. It's not my fault I'm in this situation. It's not my fault I've done that. I'm just the victim. And what happens as we keep into that victim state is that we start finding ourselves travelling towards Bitterness. See, most of us don't choose to become bitter, but we probably all have met someone who we would describe as bitter and twisted. And I expect that person didn't choose to become bitter. But what happens when we do this victim thing and we keep thinking it over and we're mulling it and we're justifying ourselves all the time is we start to bring in bitterness. We stay at the centre of our universe and this bitterness stops us moving forward. It stops us in our tracks. <coughs> We have this victim mentality, and the more we dig in, the more bitter we can become. We might even go and find some friends and some allies and go, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, what would you have done in my situation? (laughs) Of course that was the only response, right? And the bitterness grows. And the closer the proximity of the emotional offender, so the closer we are emotionally to the person who may have wronged us, the more violated we're likely to feel, the stronger and the deeper the bitterness is likely to become. You see, I don't know about you, I drive quite a lot for work, not as much as I did pre pandemic, but I'm still in the car quite a lot. And I've learned that if someone cuts me up at the traffic lights or jumps into the lane on the M25, which happens all the time, do you know what? I'm really good now at just letting it go. Once upon a time, it would have upset me, but if you're in the car for hours a day, you would just, we don't have to you can't live in that way. So, but it's easy. There's no emotional proximity between the person who's cut me up and me. But when someone's close to us, it's different. You see, we expect different of them. We expect more of them. We've probably made ourselves vulnerable in some way. We've probably opened ourselves up. We've probably trusted them in a different way. And when people are close to us, the hurt and the disappointment can get really, really deep. And this is why when marriages and families break down, it can become so intensely bitter because we've been in a different place. The emotional proximity is so much closer. And so we become really bitter in those situations in a way that other situations don't affect us. That's why when church relationships break down, sadly, it also tends to become bitter. And we find people leaving the church, or maybe leaving the whole church, not just that particular church, or maybe walking away from their faith. And we hear of church splits because we're, emotional proximity is so much closer. And so the bitterness takes such a, such a root, a much deeper root. It drives something completely opposite to what Paul tells us to pursue in Ephesians 4 which is unity in the spirit actually it drives division see bitterness takes us to a place of separation bitterness appears to have promised satisfaction but it delivers separation Adam and Eve become separated from God that's what happens in Genesis 3 when they eat that fruit Kurt is separated from his brother He's separated from some of his family. He's separated from much of society. And the few people that he does relate to, he relates to poorly. I want to ask you this question. Are you separated from someone? Are you like Adam and Eve or Kurt in your separation from God? Have you become separated from other people? I want us to understand this morning, church, that the enemy, Satan, his primary, or at least one of his primary tactics, is to cause separation. Mm -hmm. He loves that. He wants disunity. He wants separation. (coughs) And we so easily and quite unconsciously find find ourselves doing this walk. I was just a victim of my situation. Then I become bitter about it, and suddenly I'm separated from those around me. You know, it's widely recognised that loneliness affects millions of people in the UK every year and is a key driver to poor mental health. There are lots of causes of loneliness. I'm not going to try and dig into those this morning. But one of them, one of them is bitterness. And the enemy loves it. He loves it when we're separated. He loves it. We become vulnerable. Think of a pack of animals that have safety when they're together. And what does the lion do? He He wants to bring one of them out. That's what happens. That's what the enemy's doing. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He wanted to break that relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And he wanted to break the relationship between Adam and Eve. So I've cheered you all right up now, yeah? We're all feeling pretty good, high energy, everything's good in the room. Excellent. Um, The good news is that this is not the conclusion point of what we're going to talk about this morning. This is a diagnosis of the situation we find ourselves in or have found ourselves in. God, in his mercy, has a cure. Yes. It says, but God. Hopefully. The laptop's thinking about saying but God. Uh-huh. But we can say but God, and scripture says yes. but God. And let's, let's do that now. Let's turn to scripture, to Ephesians. Uh, it's going to be quite small if it comes up on the screen, especially for those of you who have that side of the room now. Um, so I'll read it to you. It's Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 9 that we're going to look at. And it's going to be something of a summary of the diagnosis that we've just looked at this morning. And then we're going to get to this critical, pivotal point where it says, but God, but God. I'm I'm reading from the ESV version, and it says this, Paul writing to the Ephesian church. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the, of the air, the spirit that is now working, the sons of disobedience, among whom, some of us won't know, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he loves us before we know him, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. He talked about at Father's house this morning, the immeasurable riches. We can't even measure the riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. So we've looked at this morning what God intended. He intended this just place we can't even imagine. And just imagine for a moment the best place you can possibly think of. Maybe, maybe it's like a desert island and it's just beautiful and the weather's always incredible and I don't know what, what the best place is but it was better than that. I don't know what the best relationship you've got. Just imagine for a moment the best relationship you have. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's not. Um, just imagine the one that's best. It's better than that. God had this sinless, perfect, wonderful place for us. This was his plan. Adam and Eve. Sin. Sin enters the world. And as a result, you know, we're born sinful. You, know, it's that you don't have to teach your children to lie and to steal or to cheat. They just know how to do that. So we live with the consequences of sin. That was what we came to. But God, but God, God, God wants yeah, to reconcile yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Firstly with him and secondly with one another. Reconciliation is on his heart for mm-hmm. this morning. He wants to reconcile us firstly, firstly vertically with him. And secondly, horizontally. Interestingly, it's the shape of the cross, isn't it? Mm -hmm. He wants to reconcile us vertically and horizontally. And this is good news. In fact, I want to suggest that we just take a moment and we stop at this good news of what Jesus has done for us and we do some stuff that's really un-British. I'm going to invite you to stand up. Don't worry. Don't look panicked. (laughs) It's not going to be that bad. Just invite you to stand up for a moment. And do you know what we're going to do? I'm going to invite you on. I'm going to invite you to give him a massive round of applause and a cheer like yes. you have. Know. Imagine this is the winning game. This is the really so <laughs> So I told you it wouldn't be that bad. We just had to to unleash the inner American, right? And we were fine. Sorry if you're American and I have to I may have to reconcile myself to you. Do you know, it's like we were on a deathbed. terminally ill, no chance of recovery, no chance of life. And God turns up with a miracle cure. This miracle cure is Jesus. And I've got a question for you this morning. If you don't know him as your Lord and Saviour, do you want to take that miracle cure? Mm. Do you want it this morning? You know, this is open to you. You can start this journey of having restoration and reconciliation. If you've never done that, then please come and talk to one of us afterwards. Someone who's just, you've seen lead, someone who brought you, me. doesn't really matter. Just come and talk to one of us. We'd love to introduce you and start you on that journey. You know, Romans 5.10 says this. For if we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What an incredible script. Just dwell on that for a moment. While we were enemies, before we were born, God reconciled us or offered us that opportunity of reconciliation through the death of his son. There's a really good... I'm not going to read it this morning because of time. There's a really good uh, book by John Piper called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die... And uh, one of the chapters talks about reconciliation, and he works from this scripture, and I really commend it to you uh, as an excellent just opportunity to dwell on just what God has done for us. You know, we think we take part in it, but really we don't. Mm. It's all him. He does it. <laughs> he comes and wants to reconcile, and then he equips us to be able to reconcile. Amazing. What a great God we've got. The story doesn't end here either this morning, because if we were to turn over the page in Ephesians, if you've got that old-fashioned thing called the paper Bible, uh, or you were to spring into your app and just move it on a little bit, which is probably the case of more of us, it would be for me, uh, in Ephesians 4, at the end of Ephesians 4, verses 31 to chapter 5, verse 2, again in the ESV, Paul writes this to the believers, it's to the church, right? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, here's the biggie, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I want to read it from the, par- the message paraphrase as well this morning because just I think it helps us bring it home. It says this. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Just went on that for a moment. Wow. Yeah. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. And learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant, as we've just applauded this morning. Mm-hmm. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything mm-hmm. of himself to us. Love like that. I love this, these simple commendations, you know. Hang out with Jesus. Yeah. Spend time in his company. Observe how he loves Watch him love. And then the really difficult bit. Love like that. Love like that. So we've had this amazing reconciliation to God through what he has done by sending his son Jesus to the cross to die for us and to come back to life and to defeat death and sin. And we can enjoy this forgiveness but there's a (coughs) bigger ask here than just to receive forgiveness. And that is that we're to forgive. See, as we've been given forgiven much, we are also mm. to forgive. And I'm not going to stand here and pretend that forgiveness is already e- always easy. You know, the guy who cuts me up on the M25, forgiving him, <laughs> reasonably straightforward. I don't, I don't hold that grudge. I really don't. Even though I've mentioned it twice. <laughs> <laughs> but when people are close to us, it's not always easy to forgive, is yeah. it? When things have wounded us deeply, when we've we've been at the sharp end of something horrible, it can be difficult to forgive. Maybe these are people that emotionally we've been vulnerable with. But Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew as he's teaching us this morning forgive us. No, it doesn't just say that, does it? Mm. Forgive as we are, have been forgiven. It's a choice. It's a choice. If you wait until you feel like forgiving someone, do you know what? Probably won't. Mm -hmm. Because our feelings are unreliable in this area. It's a choice. There are some things we must decide to forgive. We might even have to decide to forgive them on multiple occasions. And when we forgive, what we don't do is say, I'm just letting them off of what they did. When we forgive, what we do is we say to God, Do you know what? I trust you with this. I trust you with this. I trust you to do what's right. And either they're going to come to you, like I did, and be forgiven for something they don't deserve to be forgiven for, like I was. Or they won't, and they'll suffer your eternal wrath, which is a million times more than I could ever do, by not forgiving. I want to encourage you, when we forgive, amazing things can happen see, we start to lose that bitterness. The bitterness that's taken root can be broken. And then we're not separated. You know, I think, I, think, I remember sharing this with Alan Debs, and um, I think Deb shared it a little while ago, but for those of you that weren't here, um, Kirsty and I have been involved in a ministry in the past, um, a prophetic ministry, and uh, one of the things that people come for us is, is physical healing. Now, of course, we can't do that, Only God can do that, but we asked the Lord for physical healing, and we've seen many people healed. Um, Praise God. And this particular lady arrived um, to the team that I was in, and she had neck pain, and she'd had neck pain for tens of years. I mean, not just a little while. She'd had all sorts of MRI scans, all sorts of diagnosis, all sorts of things have been tried, but nothing removed this neck pain. And I remember we said to her, how bad is neck pain out of ten so it was a good starting point if you're going to heal someone. She was like, oh, it depends, but it can be eight or nine. It can be all-encompassing. And we prayed for a couple of times to be healed. Nothing happened. Um, and then the person I was with, I can't, I can't take any credit at all, the person I was with said, you know, sometimes unforgiveness causes us to carry pain, causes us to carry sickness. And I'm not saying this morning, by the way, if you're sick, then it's definitely the result of unforgiveness. But it can have a hold on us. And so we talked to her, and it turned out that the relationship with her father had been difficult. It wasn't that he was a bad man, he wasn't violent or drunk, but just a difficult relationship. He he was long past, this lady was older. And uh, she chose to pray a prayer of forgiveness, and do you know what happened? When we said to her, how do you feel? What we expected her to say was, less burdened, or warmer towards my father, or some sort of response like that. And what she actually said was, the pain in my neck has gone. Tens of years of pain in the neck. Because God healed her in that moment. And it wasn't that that was the issue. It was the bitterness that had caused it. You know, it's been said that unforgiveness is is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't work. Whereas forgiveness is to release the prisoner and to discover that the prisoner is me, is you, is us. Forgiveness takes one person we can forgive and the person who did something to us the perpetrator might not even ever know that we forgave them just like that lady and our father but actually we've got even more on us here we've got reconciliation and in reconciliation that means both parties forgiving and taking a journey towards one another and starting to rebuild trust and Depending on the situation you've been in, that might need to be done really wisely. That might need to be done with external counsel. Because we don't want to put ourselves back in a place where we would be hurt and the same things would repeat. But we are called to be like Jesus. And Jesus reconciles. We're called to reconcile. Satan's primary tactic, as we talked about earlier, is to break relationship. He wants to break the relationship between us and God. He wants to break the relationship between us and others. We see it everywhere. We see it in the wars and the conflicts that are going on. We see it on TV programs all the time. Do you know what? He makes it look attractive. Incredible, isn't it? That he could make separation look attractive, but he does. And he whispers away. The enemy whispers away things like, Surely you can't forgive that. <coughs> Surely you can't forgive that person. They don't deserve it. Surely you can forgive everyone, but that—that's that, an exception. That person's an exception. That thing is an exception. You know, church, we need to be wise. We need to be forgiving. We need to pursue unity in the Holy Spirit. And when we do, what we end up with is something that's countercultural.